Leo, you did it. Well, yes, I got uh, the man I've been talking about for a while now. John Dessler, 90-year-old Holocaust survivor. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Wow. Hey, it's, it's great to be with you guys. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. You know, I'm 90 years old. I'm, I hit 90 last October. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Dino, you should get you should work his mic. Make sure that mic's in front of his mouth, and, and maybe prioritize that over the action cam. Or John, yeah, you're. What am I doing? You've got your wits about you. Yeah, yeah, you look and sound me. great I've done for this ninety. Kind of stuff before. Yeah, yeah. Just talk, talk right in. Talk right into it. Like get pretty right, close. Right over here. This is good. Huh? Yeah, 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 pretty good. Okay. Even closer, if you don't mind. Just yeah. have that thing right up against you. Yeah. There, yeah, we, there go. we go. Yeah, yeah there like go. that. There we go. All is good. All is an old nunk. That sounds good. Were you speaking German right there? He was speaking German. Oh wow! So you oh were, you, I guess we got to so back up you, to the start. Let me, let me give you a little, a little recap, okay? Yeah. You want a little bio, okay? A bio, yeah. Uh, I was born in Berlin, Germany, in 1931, and uh, that was just two years before the Nazis took over the country. Yeah. And uh, I had no idea what was going on. Uh, obviously, uh, the the first, uh, the first contact I had with any kind of Nazism was in 19, uh, I was eight years old, 1938, 1939, when the doorbell rang in the morning and they used to have a joke, a dark, you talk about black humor, mm. and the joke was if your doorbell rings at six in the morning, the chances the, the chances are that it's not gonna be the milkman. And that, what they meant uh, by that, geez. it's the Gestapo. Uh-huh. to come in and you know probably arrest you, which they did with my father. Yeah. My father was a dental surgeon. Wow. And um, we were like, I guess you'd call it an upper middle class family in Berlin. Uh, my mom had come from a German Jewish family that had lived in Germany for at least three generations from the mid 1800s, I suppose. And uh, we were Jewish, but uh, you know, the German Jews were very different from Eastern Jews because mm-hmm. they were much more educated and they had been mm-hmm. allowed into Germany already in the early 1800s mm, as opposed to many other countries where they still lived in ghettos and they mm-hmm. were s- segregated. So, so were you, John, a little anti-Semitic toward the Eastern Jews? Isn't that interesting that you mm-hmm. asked that question? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I wasn't, mm-hmm. but, a most little bit. German, but most German <laughs> Jews were yeah. were they yeah. considered it it Those was like coming Jews. it's like if you're if you're Polish living in Jews. new york and you're educated uh. and you're sort of at least middle class upper middle right. class and suddenly all these people came in from down south mm-hmm. and they hadn't had any kind of education and sure and they, it's they they wanted to blend in mm-hmm. german jews always wanted to be and my father was typical of that he he had been already at the cavalry in the first world war oh wow and uh Probably fought alongside Hitler. Well, no, 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 not for Hitler. This is First World War. Hitler was in the trenches in the First World War. Oh, yeah, that's exactly right. They were probably shoulder to shoulder. Exactly. Und scheißen potato masher. Yeah, that's right. Throwing him at the French. Yeah, exactly. Your granddaddy and Arnie. Yeah. Arnie Hitler. But, uh, so, you know, bottom line is that the German Jews considered themselves Germans Mm -hmm. first, and they never really talked about, there was no Yiddish spoken. My mother told me once, when she was a kid growing up, and her maiden name was Mandelbaum, mm. and they had been in the country, that whole family had been in the country for two or three generations, and she said, if anybody in my home, the Mandelbaum family, when she grew up, 
She said, if anybody used any Yiddish words, like, uh, you know, whatever, I'm not even saying schmuck or anything like that, you mm -hmm. know, or, Yid or, or any kind of Yiddish words. Her father, Alexander Mandelbaum, uh, who was one of the biggest diamond merchants in Germany at the time, uh, he would look at her very sternly and say, we don't speak that kind of language in this mm. house. Wow. So th that, was, that was kind of a, so obviously, you know, I was eight years old uh, when my father got arrested and uh, after three or four days with the Gestapo, uh, he got out, he had uh, patients that were in Paris that were with the French consulate. So he was able to get out and he said to my mother, you and the boy joined me as soon as you can. Uh -huh. Pack up all of We lived in like a 10-room apartment. His office was part of it, you know. Mm -hmm. And pack up everything. So we ended up like with 40 or 50 crates of all of our furnishings and everything. And a You year, were well off. Uh, very well off, it sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. Bunch uh, of crates, I, I think so. bunch of rooms. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so uh, a year later, my mother and I left. And at that point, I, I, I was stop almost you for a nine second, years old. Why did the Gestapo release your father? They released him. Well, they arrested him, first of all, because for, for in 1935, the Nazis had these Nuremberg Laws. They were called the Nuremberg Laws, which right. made Jews essentially non-citizens. Mm. And they said, if you're an accountant or a dentist or a doctor or a lawyer... You are no longer able to practice that. Hmm. Wow. Is it You're basically just, like Jim Crow? You, you just can't do it. You have to, Whoa. you know, that's it. He continued anyway. Mm -hmm. He said to himself, fuck this. I mean, I remember my father saying to me, I asked my father years later, you know, we were in the States, and I was in my 20s. I said, so why didn't you get hip to what was going on with the Nazis? Mm -hmm. he, he said, I, we thought all of this was going to blow over. Right. Yeah. This guy's a little too crazy. And the followers and all of that, I mean, millions of people were Zeke Heiling and following him, mm -hmm. you know, uh, following Hitler. And he thought it was all going to blow over. Well, it didn't blow over. Mm -hmm. And by the time my mother and I joined my father in Paris, uh, I was eight, I was nine years old. Mm -hmm. And within a couple of days of uh, joining him in a hotel that he had been living in for a year, he said, uh, uh, Hans Wolfgang, which was my original name. Mm -hmm. That's a good German name. Wow, Hans, that's a good Hans Wolfgang. Wolfgang. It's a good yeah. German name. Hans Wolfgang Dessler. That's a G name, bro. Austin Schlosser. Uh, so he named me after mm -hmm. a German, a famous German uh, author and poet, Goethe. But uh, oh, yeah. he, he thought he thought uh, that was a good name to give me. So when we arrived in Paris, like within two days, my father pulled me aside and said, "Your name is not going to be changed." To Jean Jacques. Oh, you're wow. going to learn to speak French. Wow, you're going to be put into this boarding school. So your name was changed to hide from the Nazis. Yeah. What yeah. about some uh, to blonde Jean, hair to dye? Jean Jacques. What? So Jean Jacques. I think I some, like some blonde hair dye, like a New York Yankees ball cap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How can we make this guy look as Protestant as yeah. possible? <laughs> so uh, yeah. So suddenly, so he said three things. You're going to learn to speak French. You're going to change. Your name is going to be changed to Jean Jacques. And you will never, ever tell anybody that you're Jewish. From wow. now on, mm -hmm. anybody asks you your religion, you tell them you're Lutheran. Okay. Mm, Lutheran. I said, okay. I didn't know from Lutheran. I didn't know from Jewish. I knew, not, you know, I was nine years old. Right. Did you yeah. have to walk around with a big 
pork sandwich in your hand at all times. <laughs> that would have been a good sure. technique. <laughs> yeah, that would have been a good cover, right? Yeah, just just the cover. two pieces of bread I, I, stuffed I, I with pork. No condiments or lettuce. So I was in the sporting school with mm-hmm. a bunch of guys. Like, I think there were like 40 uh, other kids there. Mm-hmm. And I made my first friends, learned to speak French very quickly. John, did yeah. you have to get re-circumcised? No. <laughs> you got to think about these sorts of things. No. But I never had to show anybody my schmeckle, you know. I didn't know. No, 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 <laughs> Lucky you. He said, let me see who you are. And, wow, uh, let me so see who you are. <laughs> we asked this guy to show his schmeckle before we hired him. Yeah, before we hired him, we had to make sure he was so, a real German. Uh, yeah, so that's how it went. And I got acclimated pretty quickly. I don't remember being homesick. Mm-hmm. Uh I made a couple of friends there. I learned mm-hmm. to speak French fluently. Mm-hmm. And uh, there we were in a town called Lozère in the middle of France. Wow. And uh, after a year, the woman who was in charge of the school called all the boys together and said, uh, we have some bad news. Uh-huh. We were just invaded yesterday by oh, the Germans. The Germany Germans. invaded us. We're at war. Uh-huh. And your uh-huh. parent is going to pick you up either tomorrow or as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. And and I just want to ask a little bit, before yeah. we get into the dark times in Paris, John, does part of you ever look back and think, you know what, Auschwitz would have been preferable versus hanging out with those French dickheads? Because when no I went to Paris, way. No when way. I went to Paris, let me tell you, John, I wanted to kick everybody I met right in the cooch and or nutsack. Well, he, yeah. he they didn't treat him like an American, Danny. See, they I treated him like one of the, he he was no, blending I was, in. I was yeah, just this I, I was just this kid. I, well, I tried to blend I, in too, I tried John. to hide my, my the fact that I was a German. I was yeah. trying to hide the fact that I was American. I went up to a vendor and I went, uh, uh, "Je voudrais un pomme frites, uh, s'il vous plaît." And they're like, eh, "Speak American, speak English." Well, your accent's terrible. You should have learned French better, like our boy John did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Je, je voudrais un crepes, Mademoiselle. Sounds Is there terrible. a bit of an American accent? A bit. Well. You know, when you're when you're young, mm. I, I'd say if you're under the age of ten, because I've yeah. had some friends who came around that time years mm-hmm. ago, and they never lost their accent, whether right. it was uh, you know German or French or whatever, refugees, you know. Mm-hmm. And you have it here. You have it in L.A. Yeah. People that are probably living here for you know dec- decades, mm-hmm. and they still have Spanish accents if yeah, they're from Mexico. For Central America, mm-hmm. no. So I, I blended in very quickly. I, I don't know if it was just a natural talent, mm-hmm. or it was like I, I I got hip to you know, I better blend in. So right. I, I just learned to speak French pretty for your quickly. own safety. But Stop after a year, they, they called us together. My mother picked mm-hmm. me up the following day, and took me back to Paris. Mm-hmm. And by then we were at war. France was at war with Germany, mm-hmm. and my mother was living in a in this little apartment. Uh, with uh, uh, just you know a, a bedroom, I slept in the same room with her. I said, "Where's Papi? Where's my father?" Mm-hmm. She said, "Oh, he was arrested first by the French, Jesus. being a foreign national, and then when they figured out that he was a refugee and not a Nazi, mm-hmm. they threw him in the French army. So he ended up in the French army oh. for the two or three months that the French that was even were around. At least right, that was around, chill right. duty. All he had to do was this." Yeah, that's right. Listen, John, I'm telling you right now, you and your childhood pop gun would have put up a better defense than the French oh, army. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They were, yeah, they were terrible. I mean, they, they capitulated in mm. under 
I think it was like three months or something. Three like months. And they, and they had the biggest army in Europe at the time. Really? Yeah. They had a couple of million and, and, and they had this big Maginot line. And I mean, <laughs> yeah. they, all this so shit, much for it that. came to nothing. Yeah. You know? wow. So much for that, the Maginot line. Hitler made it to Paris at the time it would take Mudflap to make it to Paris. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in a slow trot. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Mudflap's a fat friend of oh, ours, yeah. John. He's oh, very yeah, obese. Absolutely. Mm. So when, when I got back to Paris uh, to see my mother, mm. from the very first night that I was with her, sleeping on a couch in this little apartment in Noyy, which is in the outskirts of Paris, oh. and it was near the Renault Auto Factory. And the reason I mention that is because we had bombings every night because mm. the Germans were trying to bomb the Renault, the Renault auto factory because yeah. mm. they were making you know weapons and arms and yeah. tanks and all kinds I of stuff. I thought they were just bombing them because they so knew French automobiles. So it was like within three or four guy. days of, uh, of that whole scene uh -huh. of uh, bombings every night and air raid shelter and cramming in with other people. And I did a painting fairly recently, like about seven or eight years ago, uh, that was the memory that I had of me standing outside in the courtyard before going in the air raid shelter uh -huh. in German planes with bombs coming out. Jesus. Seeing all that. So I tell you guys, man, by the time I was there for five days, five nights of air raids and bombings every night, my fingers, I, I was biting my nails so bad my fingers used to bleed. Jesus. Uh, it was just terrible. You just thought one might land on your place. And oh, yeah, of course. That's a good, it sounds doing. like a good painting. Oh, I actually, yeah. Yeah. I I mean, actually painted I, that's this. That's when I first realized what war is. You know? Right. That's a, I mean, I didn't give is. it a name or anything. I said, oh, yeah, they're, they're, they're trying to kill us. Kill us, right. They're trying to kill us. They're right. trying to kill us. I painted yeah, this thing, What did you want to say, Danny? Yeah, I painted this thing. I was war, and they were trying to kill us. I painted too. I painted this thing based on the Spanish Civil War, and, you know, like the Germans just testing out their planes on this small village called Guernica. And I just thought... That's not right. So yeah. I drew mm -hmm. this mosaic of a bunch of cows and people wow. struggling into a house. <laughs> Sounds like what Picasso might have might have drawn. Are you talking about the famous Picasso painting, Guer Guernica? I painted Guernica. That's you, what I called. Oh, it. really? That yeah, that masterpiece that's in it's in Spain, I think. Yeah, it's in y Spain. Now. Your boy yeah. laid brush to canvas. Wow. And gave man birth to it, Leo. That's unbelievable. I painted Guernica. Guernica, my father said he saw it when it was in New York, and he would he would he went every day for a week. It was there for seven yeah. days. Tell him he's fucking welcome. That you that you. <laughs> <laughs> you got John. You got yeah. John on. That I'm a one. good painter too. So so to back up, you, so you painted this thing recently to capture the fear you felt yeah. when all that was going oh, yeah. on. Unbelievable fear. Mm -hmm. right. Unbelievable fear. And it just stayed. It didn't get better because right. you know the war got worse. Yeah. And after about three or four weeks. Everybody was trying to get out of Paris because the German troops were only about 10, 5, 15 miles away. We could hear the cannons and everything. And everybody was trying to flee the city. On bicycle, now, city, on foot. Yeah, I've whatever. Seen, I've and seen on the video a train. Of it. So my mother and train. I got on a train mm -hmm. w waiting like for almost a day to try to get on. Jesus. To any, anything heading south, you know. Yeah. Right. So we ended up in this little place uh, on the Spanish border, but we couldn't get across. And we still had, we had one suitcase is all mm -hmm. we had with us, you know, just trying to get away. And we stayed in this little uh, pension in Biarritz and, uh, for about a couple of weeks. And then one morning I remember hearing uh, the Germans down below on the mm -hmm. street. And I mm -hmm. opened the shutters of this room that we were in. Jesus. And there they were marching in military trucks and stuff down there. Jesus. And my mother said, quick, come over here. And she had no frame of reference. My mother was like, you know, 
a, a really a lady that grew up in a very upper middle class kind of family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She she had demonstrated over the last uh, over the next years incredible strength. So she said, "Go by the window, open the window a little bit." And she took all of our papers, mm -hmm. our passport, our identity cards, uh, anything that identified us and burned them in the sink right in in the room that we were staying in. Mm -hmm. wow. And she said, "From now on, if anybody talks to you, you only speak French, mm -hmm. and we'll only speak French. And uh, if anybody says, where's your paper or anything like that, you just say, we lost everything. We Did were bombed out in Paris. The right. sad part is that they, that got, was it. they so, got uh, charged so, five so, francs for a smoking violation in the hotel room. No, the yeah, manager smoke. came up. He's like, what is this? Yeah. It smells of smoke. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what happened. Yeah, yeah it's it just incredible. Too. Wow. So, yeah, that so that that's, that's how things were at that time. And uh, the concierge in that building, I remember, you know, hearing her yell, "La guerre est finie! La guerre est finie! Les Bosch sont ici!" The the war is over. The Bosch, they called them the Bosch, the Germans. Mm -hmm. They're they're all here, you know. Oh my God! So I don't know exactly French. how. Like a couple of days later, see what happened when they invaded places. It was the military first, you know, mm -hmm. the Wehrmacht, you know, mm -hmm. the German military, mm -hmm. and then the SS and the Gestapo and all of the really the darkest of the darkest evil mm -hmm. parts of the German, uh, they didn't come until a little bit later mm -hmm. to arrest people, to find people, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how we were able to do it, but my mother and I said, we gotta get back to Paris. So we got back to Paris, wow. to that little place. By now, when we arrived in Paris, I remember seeing a, a little German plane of flying around the Eiffel Tower with the Nazi flag on top of the Eiffel Tower. I remember wow. that. Funny thing is, that was Austin's grandfather flying that plane. Could have been. No way. He's German. He is German. Uh, He's a German bastard. Do our due diligence. My German relatives immigrated before any of that went You sure down. about, buddy? Yep. Sure about that? In between slavery and the Holocaust, my little German... <laughs> family came here so we dodged both bullets so i think i'm not gosh. accountable for that i think they were in america during slavery uh -huh. they had a hand in that then they went back to europe during nazism uh -huh. i think they, they dipped their toe in the pool on both it's you make me sick austin <laughs> i'm docking your pay <laughs> reparations John, i want to get out of this whole war thing i'll just yeah. end up no, by saying I, I, i'm loving it john don't no, don't feel incredible it's incredible, incredible. And, 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 incredible. It, it's a movie right and so, one thing, so I, one thing I want is here, a john, movie one huh? thing i want to ask is did yeah. you and your mother were you able to move free you because you said you just went In back paris. to paris and i'm curious yeah if, we were if able you, to move free so you didn't look excessively Jewish. No, no, not at all. You weren't, look at me. You weren't hunched okay. over wearing you a yarmulke. I would no, say no, you look no, German. No, no, yeah. we were not. First of all, we were never <laughs> Orthodox Jews. If anything, yeah. we were completely, you know, like... What the fuck uh, is wrong uh, with you? Uh, reform, not even reform. Uh -huh. I don't know. Jew my, my, my father, when I asked him years later, because my father was a, basically an atheist. Uh -huh. He died in 1982. Uh -huh when I was working in Vienna, Austria, but that's another part of my story. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I said to him, uh, why, you know, this Jewish thing, he said, I don't believe in any of that. He said, Jews in Germany, people of our background and mm -hmm. people of our whatever class, I hate to use that word. Sure. But uh, just uh, the only time we ever went to synagogue is like for deaths, right. somebody dies, or for births or marriages. Yeah, there we go. We yeah. never. 
I didn't know what any of this was, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. I'd never been to a synagogue while we were in Germany or any of that mm -hmm. stuff. So we get back. So now in Paris, the Germans are occupied, and they're not going from house to house yet, but you have to be very, you know, very careful, very cool. And uh, all my mother was trying to do at that point is to find out, where's my father? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know how, how it, there was no, no regular services. Imagine this now. Yeah. If I was trying to get a hold of Leo and I'm sitting in, I don't know, Mississippi someplace or mm -hmm. France or wherever, and I don't know where, if, whether Leo's in Los Angeles, I would write a letter to the general post office in Los Angeles, Leo, uh, et cetera, et cetera, mm. uh, and uh, then I would wait for weeks or months mm -hmm. And on the other end, if my father was in Marseille, oh, she had heard, she spoke to somebody. I left off an important part. Mm -hmm. So when we got back to Paris, uh, she was talking to some French people that she knew. And among that little group one day at a cafe, there was a man, and when he, my mother was introduced, he said, Destler, oh, Destler. Oh, je connais cette... There was a doctor that I was stationed with near mm -hmm. Grenoble in the French army. So it was him. Uh, and yeah, and she's, oh really? And my mother just, said, you know, what happened? He said, yeah, yeah. Uh, when France surrendered, uh, everybody was released, and he and a bunch of other men were heading towards Marseille. Oh wow. So, she when she wrote that uh, that letter, hoping you know. Mm -hmm. Bruno Dessler, Dr. Bruno Dessler, that was my father, mm -hmm. uh, care of general post office. She waited three or four weeks, and one day she gets a letter. She had to go to the post office every day in mm -hmm. Paris, mm -hmm. wait online, A to G, H to, you know, like, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. hours of waiting. Wow. Imagine trying one to day, sext under those conditions. And one day there was well. a letter uh -huh. for, for her, and it was from my father, and it wasn't a letter. It was written on a piece of toilet paper. Mm -hmm. No way. Because there was no stationery. Wow. People don't imagine. You know, right. when they say, oh, there's a shortage of, you know, who the, you know, baby yeah. food or whatever. Mm -hmm. There was nothing at that it point. There was nothing. Even, not even at paper. the beginning. Not. Was there a streak so he of wrote, he wrote on a piece of toilet paper, uh. I am safe. I think of you and our boy. Here's my address. Join me, etc." Oh, my God. What a relief. And that was it. So they would have found me. I mean, if you did write in to find me in those days, I would have been at the local whorehouse, John. <laughs> so it would have been easy to find me. Mm, They'd have been like, "Oh, we know. Yeah, Leo, of course. He's a regular." <laughs> that was uh, after. Down the that was after he tried sexting all the princesses uh -huh. of Europe oh, yeah. over telegraph. But because it was so slow, I would get right to the point. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just I need to stay boy. in a brothel. Do you like doggy weeks? style? Uh, uh, will yes you blow no. me without any sort of reciprocation yes uh -huh. or no <laughs> is uh john is it true your father signed that piece of toilet paper letter with a streak of diarrhea <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably that was his signature. Yeah. It's just a brown line yeah uh, well you got to multitask i mean you got to use things of more course. than once of course so we rationing. ended up we ended up eventually we ended up going to uh, and the i still know the the address 63 rue silvabel 63 wow. rue Silva Bell. Wow. And it was in the African quarter of Marseille. Uh -huh. And it was this little building. And we went there uh, from Paris to Marseille. There were no cars or anything. I remember being picked up at the train station in Marseille by a, a horse and driver mm -hmm. with a big cart behind it. And through our steamer trunk, that's what all we had at that point. 
because everything else that was shipped from Berlin to Paris was stolen by the Nazis. Uh -huh. So they never had anything. Uh -huh. So from the time we left Berlin, all we had was a big steamer trunk. You know what they are? Yeah. Our next partner has a product that I literally take every day. It's called Athletic Greens. And King Croc, what do you feel? How do you feel about Athletic Greens? I heard about them, mm -hmm. and I feel like I definitely need them shits. Hell yeah. Why? Real shit, nigga, because the other day I pull up to the ballpark. Mm -hmm. I'm rolling with my homies, about to cross some niggas up, do some damage on the court. Right. And this fucking white boy. Yeah, did he cross you up? Cracker. <laughs> what did he do? He runs on the fucking pavement, concrete. Really? And uh, Well, if you had been taking your athletic greens, that wouldn't happen. Because you can't. Okay. You don't have the okay. time to get all Listen. the nutrients you need. You need extra help. That, King. Yeah, he what did he do? He, 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 was, he was trying to mock me or something. I don't understand. But basically, I said, word one up to 10 points right now. Boom. I'm bowling. I make the first shot. Yeah. On were, the you next possession, were you getting tired? Were you getting tired? crossed me up. Because you were tired. Because you have too much sugar in your system. It, this is less than one gram of sugar. Athletic literally. Greens, less man. than one gram of sugar. No GMOs. It's, it, there's no nasty chemicals or artificial anything. And it still tastes good. Really? You really need athletic greens. Listen, man. King Croc, if you yeah. want to be shooting threes mm -hmm. like Steph Curry out there, you won't even need to play defense. You need athletic greens. Yes. Mm. It supports mental clarity alertness. You're not going to let that white boy run you up and down the court. That if cracker. you have athletic greens, that uh. cracker. Got that. Uh. What was he? Do you know? I mean, and look, and I know, you know, price is, of course, an issue. I get that. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're spending. $15 a day on Newports and Four Locos, you fuck. Why don't you put that some of that money into Athletic Greens? So one thing with the best things. Athletic Green uses the best of the best products, buddy, based on the latest science with constant product iterations and third-party testing. All right, and I get it. And it's it's look, it's expensive for you you can't think that $3 a day is expensive because I know you're spending a lot more on Newports. It's not bad at all. Yes. I need me some greens. Fuck. Right now, a special deal for us? Yes. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. It's really that easy. It's just one scoop and a cup of water. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All right? That's that's plenty. And I take the vitamin D as well because uh, sometimes I need so much sun. So all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash LDS. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash LDS to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance, Athletic Greens. Yeah. All your earthly possessions go in the trunk. Yeah, I love exactly. Lucy. Exactly. Trunk. I love exactly. Lucy. She had, so was an that was with. it. So we had that and a, I guess a few suitcases. And mm -hmm. my father must have had one or two suitcases. And that was it. So we ended up living with my father, who was there on the top floor of this building. It had a big circular stairway. I visited that house, by the way. Wow. In Marseille. Uh, oh, like 15 years ago, 20 years ago, a girlfriend that I had at the time, we went to France. Mm -hmm. And I said, I got to get to Marseille. I worked in Europe for 12 years later. I'll tell you all about that mm -hmm. later. And... Uh, 
I had never traced any of the stuff, you know, uh, throughout my life. John, can I, can I ask a question real quick? You yeah. said that when you first moved to Paris, you had to blend in with the Parisians. Yes. You had to start speaking French, acting right, French. Right, When you moved to the African quarter of Marseille, yes. did you have to start doing blackface? <laughs> no. <laughs> did you have to start acting a little... No. But Black in the building <laughs> where, where we ended up for a pretty year good. and a yeah. half, we ended up for a year and a half at 63 Rue Silvabel, uh -huh. living in one room with two women, my mother, my father, and I, uh -huh. a pot belly stove in the middle. Wow. An unbelievable amount of bed bugs and rodents, and it was Jesus. just like the Ew. worst, the worst of the worst, you can't imagine. Jeez. Mm, uh, no heat in the wintertime, sweltering heat in the summertime, Jesus. bed bugs, all, I mean, just the, the, the worst conditions. But you get used to everything, you know? Yeah. So my mother used to say, I, I, she was so stressed out from everything. Uh, she said, I used to be up almost all night picking bed bugs off your father and you. Oh, uh, damn. Just to see, you know, that. And we live with these two other women. Mm -hmm. And the woman who was the concierge of that building, there were just it's crazy the three of us these two women margo and ella and we all lived in this like a room and a half mm -hmm. and, a, and a toilet in the hallway mm -hmm. and then there were two african guys living somewhere in the building king mm -hmm. cross grandfather the, uh security guards no no <laughs> 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 they were not uh i never really got to know them mm -hmm. uh but uh they they were there and uh they uh you know, I don't think th the Germans were looking for uh, any African uh, French people that were there. You yeah, know? they didn't care. They, yeah. they were just. That's why John was walking around with a sideways hat and a gold chain. Yeah, he didn't care. <laughs> he was blending in. He was blending yeah, in well. Like John, Calloway. I have a question Nazi. about a question about the living quarters with the ladies. Uh, do you ever maybe was there a nipple slip somewhere? Did you, did you get a catch? No, but up some my breasts? father was alone mm. with those two women. Jeez, before my mother and I arrived. Wow, I'm sure there was, uh, uh, you know, stuff going on. Some a hanky bit panky here and there. I'm sure. Well, hey, war you times. know, when when you're in a life and death situation, oh yeah, and you're in terrible fear, mm. and you have no food. Uh, sex is a good remedy for a lot of that stuff. Wow, you know? I didn't That's know right. that. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. <laughs> Hell it's the yeah, one John. thing that you still have uh -huh. is if you can, if you can fuck, you know. That's right. Yeah. Uh, that that's the proof that you're still alive. Wow. That's right. Wow. See, I was right. Yeah. I was right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ninety years on Earth, he wow. told us what's important. He told us what's important during That's war right. times. He said. Anytime. I mean, if you can fuck. It's a good day. Is right, that John? Why, yeah. John, you is know? that why sometimes when my Internet goes out and I get really stressed, I just start masturbating? <laughs> Similar could, stress response. Be, you got to ask yourself that question. You right. A little introspection. You know? Yes. A little introspection. Maybe. Good. Maybe so. So we ended up uh, barely surviving in in that little place. Mm -hmm. uh, and Madame Collinet, who was the concierge of that little building, Mm -hmm. And she basically uh, was a great hero because she risked her own life protecting these refugees that Jesus. were there. Because I'm sure the police and right. the French uh, and the, and the uh, the Vichy French, which were collaborating mm -hmm. with the Nazis, uh, and she probably you know just was able to. And we certainly had no money to pay or anything. There was no food or anything. Jeez. Anyway, dark times, mm -hmm. dark times. But we survived that. That's right. Finally, after a year and a half, we were able to get a visa mm -hmm. out of Vichy, France, through Spain, 
through Portugal and tickets on a Portuguese freighter out of Lisbon to come to Ellis Island, New York. Wow. Can, can just real quick, John, you mentioned you were able to get out of Vichy, France. For people who don't know, Vichy, France was the name of the new French government that took control. That, that, who were, they were sympathetic to the Nazi that's cause. Right. Half, of, half of France was occupied by the German troops, and the other half was collaborators of France, mm -hmm. which they called, and their headquarters was in Vichy, yep. one of the cities. And, uh, yeah, they were just as bad. I mean, they hunted down Jews yep. uh, just the, the same way. But, of wow. course, we, we, Jew, what's that? What's that? You know? <laughs> yeah, you guys were blending in. Yeah. And, and I got to tell you, just yeah. very quickly, I got to tell you, this country, uh -huh. with all the shit going on now with immigration and all the people coming across, they were so closed, this country. They could have saved hundreds of thousands of refugees. The French. Uh -huh. But it was all this country, oh, the United America. States. America, yeah, yeah. Or the United States, the Roosevelt administration. Yeah. They, uh, well, it was just, you know, before we got bombed in Pearl Harbor, uh, Pearl Harbor mm -hmm. uh, before that period, uh, this country had 10 years of depression. Mm -hmm. You know, millions unemployed and yeah. all of that. So I think the government didn't want any, you know, any other foreigners in there? They said after the war, yeah. God willing, we win the war, mm -hmm. which they, you know, we did obviously. Yeah. Uh, we don't want any 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 foreigners in here. So we were just very very blessed, mm -hmm. I have to say, not even lucky, that somebody from the United States, a refugee organization, was able, traced us and was able to find out where we are and how we are, and got us tickets on the on this on this uh, Portuguese freighter with uh, 300 people, and it took a month to cross the Atlantic mm -hmm. in uh, November of 1941. And when we arrived in the wow. United States on the 3rd of December, 1941, um, barely alive from starvation and Jeez. sickness and everything, uh, within two days of arriving in America, this woman shows up, an American woman, and my mother says to me, this is uh, Tante Sylvia, Aunt Sylvia, because mm -hmm. I spoke no English. Mm -hmm. By now, I had two identities. I was a German, mm -hmm. and then I became a French, mm -hmm. right. you know, the Jean-Jacques. Mm -hmm. Jean and now they said, your name is going to be changed to Johnny. Mm -hmm. Wow, and hell you're yeah. you're going to learn to speak English, and now you're going to become an American. Hey, I like Johnny. Hey, American flag I, I, pants. I, identity yeah. crisis. Yeah, I know, identity crisis for I sure. I had that for a long they, time. They shoved a baseball bat and a hot dog into your hands. Yeah, yeah. Like, right. be American, you little fuck. He yeah, was trans-ethnic exactly. before it was cool. Oh, wow, trans-ethnic, wow, yeah. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it, yeah, Austin. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it, man. Wait, does anyone else think he sounds like Donald Trump a little bit? <laughs> Can you do a Donald Trump little impression, little. John? Well, you lived in New York. No, I, I can't. I, I can't Well, I, I, you know, it's interesting because um, he doesn't sound. When like we first came here, I was adopted by this American family. They had a ten-year-old son. I was ten years old. I learned to speak English. They fed me. I was like a skeleton. I was uh -huh. in such terrible shape. Uh, mentally and physically. And I lived with this family for a year while my mother worked in New York at the St. Moritz Hotel as a chambermaid cleaning 15 rooms a day. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's interesting. When I talk to younger people mm -hmm. uh, this day and age, and I, and I talk to them and I said, so man or woman, what, what, so what, what are you doing? They said, oh, I haven't found a job in my field yet. Yeah, yeah I know. That's... Uh 
these guys. No, I'm just kidding. I said, they they have a job in their field, though. I said, your field. I, yeah. I said, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't understand that at all. Yeah. You know, this whole generation, my parents, that we came, yeah. you know, it was getting, staying alive. Mm-hmm. Right. My mother cleaned 15 rooms a day oh, right. yeah. at the St. Moritz Hotel. Yeah. And my father worked, you know, delivering uh, packages mm-hmm. and stuff right. until he got back to school. Right. He wanted to be a dentist again. So he, they, the St. Louis University... Uh, said you can study here for three years to get your license and you can pay us back the money one day when you have it John, so yeah. we moved to st louis i spent a year with this family uh-huh. the zuckerman family uh-huh. who had a son named albert and uh i learned to speak english and all of that and then uh, we moved to st louis and were there for three years during the war that's when i became really patriotic right yeah st louis 1943 44 and 45 world war ii seeing all the you know guadalcanal diary and mm-hmm. Batan and you know all, every, all the movies mm-hmm. and uh st louis and we lived real poor i mean i lived real poor until i was 19 basically and then mm-hmm. i split and i joined the navy oh, wow. but that's John, a little bit further i down. just i just want to tell you because you mentioned or at least you implied that you're fed up with the people of our generation who say uh, just, I'm not no, ready even to get below a job yet. I live with my parents. Mm-hmm. I'm still trying to make sure my life's all squared away. Before. Right. These guys over here, they've been collecting government employment. They both <laughs> went to UC Berkeley. Their parents paid oh. for their very expensive education. Yeah. And oh, yeah. both of them are Fidel Castro devotees. They, they are. Love they Fidel love Fidel. Shame, shame on you. And Che Guevara as well. Shame they, on you. They yeah. This job right here, their parents pay for them to do this, mm-hmm. and they just, ideally, they want the government to take care of them until they're your age. Who's the Chinese uh, communist uh, famous? <laughs> oh, they're uh, big Maoists. They're Maoists. Huge Maoists. Yeah, well, you know what they should do? They, they should go to China or live in Cuba for a while. Right. Uh, yeah. Without yeah. any money brought in from uh, Uncle Sam yeah, right and yeah. and see what life is like I, I love right. all these uh, you know quasi intellectual <laughs> young people that go to the universities and get brainwashed by all this shit you these know. fuckers yeah. uh, get brainwashed Berkeley. with all this you yeah know? I saw a guy Scroll. a few years Damn, ago because so I get I'm, I'm like in your face uh-huh. I, I had a lot of fights when I was a kid and that's when Hell I first yeah. started Word. taking care of Look myself you know because uh, Look at those knuckles, dude. They're, big, they're bigger than Kid Crocs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Feel my arm, man. Feel his you arm, know. dude. And he works out. At sa- he does the he same dip great. machine as I he do. He looks great. Puts the same so, dips uh, on yeah, as I, mean, I do. I got 22 inch arms, though. That's oh, that's well, you're a big guy. You know, yeah. Hey, John, I, I want to tell you right now before you came in today, Austin over there, yeah. he said that you were a fascist because you're from <laughs> oh, Germany. Sure. No way. He said you're a fascist. Oh, no. No, hey, I'm I'm actually very right wing. I'm the complete opposite of whatever they just said. Yeah, you're yeah. you're so right wing. You've gone around the globe back to leftism. Yeah, yeah. I'm a commie now. He's a complete yeah, commie. Well, you know, I, used to, I I always get I, I get very upset and I, I I sort of get pissed off when I yeah see, I, a few guys, years John. ago. I don't, it must have been maybe in the last eight or ten years because they they it's don't have them as bad, much dude. anymore. But I see this guy walking down the street and he's got a Che Guevara. T-shirt. I think that was probably Dino right there. Yeah, and of I, course. And I, and I stopped and I said, "Hey, that's a nice T-shirt. Uh, do they have any with uh, Adolf Hitler on them at all?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's just like that. It's the I same. Said, you know who Che Guevara? Yeah. He was a murdering swine. Right. Yeah. He was not a, pig. a poetic. Yeah. Uh, uh, somebody that you should look up to. Right. You know? So anyway, 
But people have to learn their own stuff. And yeah. eventually, you know, there's nothing like pain to teach you a good lesson. Right. And maybe that's what we have to go through. Yeah. You know, or yeah. some people do. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so I live with this American family. Mm -hmm. Then we went to St. Louis. And when we came back from St. Louis and got back and living in furnished rooms in New York and boarding houses until I was 19. So I got back to New York when I was... 14 mm -hmm. and my father just was starting to practice dentistry again. He was already in his 60s mm. And my mother always worked as a waitress always worked as a waitress was he uh, money was your dad a little rusty when it came to the dentistry after No, so many no, years no. Off? he was very cool. Would there be a lot of these noises coming from his practice? I don't know everybody I'm loved sure. him and he <laughs> was you know, I could. Everybody, everybody <laughs> loved him. I'm, I'm well, very he, proud. He'd been out of practice. He'd been getting laid. John yeah. He'd been getting laid in an apartment in Marseille. Hey, uh, uh -huh. I, 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 I'm very proud of both of my mother and father. Yeah. And and he was very cool. He blended in right away. He was reading American books and wow. he was uh, he was very hip, before he even knew what that meant. You Elvis know, When Presley. they used to call it hip. Mm -hmm. Hip. <laughs> very hip. Uh, so. Uh, when I was in high school in New York, back, you know, when we got back to New York, uh, I was uh, 15, 16, and I still had uh, what they call PTSD. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what the hell, I never even heard that expression until decades later. Yeah. But what I had was uh, I wasn't undernourished anymore, but I was always skinny, mm -hmm. and I was already trying to defend myself so I was always doing push-ups and pull-ups and mm -hmm. stuff like that uh, just to uh, not take any shit and, and John I, I'm sorry to interrupt again That's but sick. but Austin over there he says that he has PTSD because I told him my dad voted for George W. Bush. Oh. Yeah. And that gave him PTSD. That's, that's yeah. the difference in the generations. Uh-huh. Leo, right? exactly. The difference in the generations. Yeah. he's They're so left-wing, John. I can't emphasize it. <laughs> you know, but yeah, but so yeah. so well, did you ever, did you get in some fights in New York when you were a kid? I I've only had three or four fights in my whole life, uh -huh. and they were all when I was I had one in New York. We finally I told you we were all, always living in rooming houses and everything mm -hmm. uh, on the west side of Manhattan. Do you know mm -hmm. that area at all between Seventy yes. Second and Ninety Sixth Street? We know it now. What is it like? Uh, what was in, it like in those back then? days? Well, there was a pool room on 96th and Broadway, mm -hmm. a bowling alley, and a ping pong place downstairs. Sounds good. And we used to hang out between 72nd Street and 96th Street on the west side. So the west side, uh, in the little rooming houses, they all used to be brownstones, I guess, at one time. You've seen them in yep. the movies, if not mm -hmm. in person. Um, the rooming houses were all people that were just like the refugees, you know, my parents uh, and others like them, refugees. They would just rent rooms, you know, like for $8 a week or $9 a week, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, whatever it was at the time. And West End Avenue and Riverside Drive and Central Park West was where the well-to-do lived. And it was mainly upper, upper middle-class Jews. Mm -hmm. And they either worked in the in the parents, and I used to know a lot of those kids. Uh, and they either worked in the garment district, or they were like mafia Jewish mafia. Oh wow! Mm. Uh, guys, hmm. that that uh, 
were bookies and nice. got involved in prostitution or wow. this kind of shit, you know. And uh, who was the most famous Jewish gangster of the time? Was well, it, uh, Maya Lansky. Right, Lansky. I was going to say Lansky. Yeah, he yeah. was with the mafia. But, you know, the mafia, as we saw in The Godfather and any other movies about mafia, it was Italians, but they were always Jewish guys. Oh, yeah, they, they, they helped a like lot. Because it's like the underclass, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. This is before they became lawyers and moved to L.A. Yeah, you know? right. <laughs> what is it about that? Do you have right. any insight into this, John? I know that that wave of Jewish immigrants that came over from Europe, they congregated in New York on the East Coast. A lot of them worked in garment factories. That's right. But the next generation were all tremendously successful. Yeah, that's right. Those were the doctors, the lawyers, the elites. That's right. What do you think that is about Jewish culture that just creates these ultra-successful children? Yeah, well... This, this, uh, the, it's almost part of the cult, whole culture of, of, just as you described it, of the Jewish culture, of the people that came over, the grandparents who came out of the ghettos in Poland or Russia, or you know Lithuania or mm-hmm. places like that. Uh, then they came across, and uh, uh, and then the uh, the next generation was already, you know, more successful, and they all. S- striving to be successful right they were like with the parents was like, like you we want to be, be part of that we don't want to be yeah we don't mm-hmm. but striving to be successful and i've met a lot of jews here i've been here 25 years in la mm-hmm. and i've met a lot of people and this has passed my business life because i was worked and i'll tell you about that i was i ended up working in the advertising agency business like madman like wow i worked Man. for young and rubicam one wow. of the top three agencies my favorite in the show world. ever and uh, wow but um i'll get to that in a a little bit this is don draper Uh, in the flesh guys but yeah the jews they all did that you know but it's so interesting because i've met people here jewish people that were either lawyers or Mm -hmm. uh or or, you know successful and they all spoke you know they they would they spoke yiddish Mm because that's how they grew up Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i just felt i was like from another race from another because we never spoke Yiddish, you right. know. Right. We're Germans. We're mm-hmm. German Jews. Mm-hmm. We, we don't speak Yiddish, mm-hmm. you know. No, re- uh, not a put down of, of of people that speak Yiddish. Right. But uh, it was like considered no. And there's a lot of sentimental uh, aspects that go to that because you uh, you'll meet somebody here and they change their names, of course, you know. Yeah. So it's uh, you know. Uh, Henry Green, and it used to be Greenblatt, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, when they're with other Jews, they'll they'll get into a little bit of Yiddish or this or that or oh yeah, but whatever. It's sort of like King Croc when he hangs out with other black dudes. He starts speaking Ebonics. Yeah. Oh, probably, probably. Yeah, turn it yeah, on. Which Here, is let me let, talk to me in Ebonics. I think talk to John. In John, John, talk to talk to John in Ebonics. Go ahead. What's good, nigga? How you doing? I'm doing good, nigga. <laughs> Uh, oh. no, he didn't say it. it was, and also, he lived through the Holocaust, he, so he's got he's, a pass. He's got a pass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he lived in the black my, my, Let yeah. me tell you something, man. Uh, we came back to New York, and uh, a major event that happened at that time, we were still living in rooming houses, and I was 15, 16 years old, uh-huh. still having horrible nightmares. Uh, of fear and uh, uh, the whole carryover of right. you know what I what I went through for four or five years, and you know even when we came to America, and I'm still living with my mother and father, and they're all recovering from all of that stuff and mm-hmm. trying to get you know mother working, my father trying to get his practice back and all of that, but 
there was always this tension, this tension. I mean, you know, mm -hmm. and and oh, very very upsetting. And I I just and they sent me to a doctor in New York at the time. His name was Dr. Max Jacobson, and he became quite famous uh, in in the popular culture as Dr. Feelgood. Mm -hmm. And he had every, at the time I went to him every morning when I was 15 uh, before going to school, like at seven o'clock, 7.30 in the morning, he'd be there already, big syringe, Jesus, vitamins, elixirs, and 20 milligrams of methamphetamine. Yep. Right, Adderall. And he was shooting everybody up. And wow. everybody was going to him. Right. John F. Kennedy was his patient. Of course, yeah. His whole family, they Adderall. all went to him. Molly Kruger, was the early, they all went the to him. The early Adderall. But, you know, but he had everybody in show business. I mean, everybody at the time, Cecil B. DeMille was going to him when oh. I was going. Mm. And um, Eddie Fisher, the singer, and... Uh, Yule Brenner and I mean uh, everybody. Yule you know, Brenner. People. So you were how old when you were getting shot up by Doctor Fieldgood? Fifteen, sixteen. Fifteen. Wow. So you would roll into school that day. I was rolling to school. He would. He would get. He uh -huh. would shoot me. He'd have this big. And he was such a. I mean, he became sort of a a a, a role model. Yeah. Because I really, I really was so impressed yeah. with him, and I said, Oh man! And he always said he was very. He was also a refugee, yeah. but had been in America for quite a while. Max Jacobson. Max Jacobson, and he became, uh, he, he he would always have uh, gum-soled suede shoes, so he'd sneak gray around. flannel, gray flannel pants, a white sh a white shirt, and sleeves rolled up to here, and he had muscles. It's a little high. He, he was just like he was a big guy. yeah. He was just like you know. He looked like you if if you had a white shirt on. Oh, nice. You know what I mean? Thanks. And, John, and, then he, and then he would come in and he says, so, Junior, show me your show me your ass. Whoa. <laughs> this, maybe they hey, called him Dr. Feelgood for a different hey, reason. Yeah. John. Junior. I, so he would shoot you up, and you would not so much walk, but float yeah, onto your school campus. Yeah. I, I thought it was a vitamin shot. I, I want to hear about you walking up to the juiciest, biggest-titted goy bitch you saw on campus and seducing her <laughs> well john is obviously yeah, a ladies man i can tell shit it's it's hard to like really focus on the important things when you're running a business isn't it guys and i'll tell you what the important shit is yeah what is dog. that it's King Crocs flows. Hit it. Chilling like a villain on a beach killing. Niggas know when I'm moving, I'm a criminal. Big shot till you howl. Get your mind tied till you die. Look, when you run a business, time seems more precious. King Croc needs to work on spit and fire. Every misplaced moment feels like a missed opportunity when he's handling shipping for his company. I'll tell you what King Croc sent it out. His motherfucking mixtape. To all the big wigs over at Warner Brothers right. Records. He's got to ship that four or five times a day because he's got to make sure somebody gets it. Some of them go in the trash, some of them go in the mail room. He's got to make sure they get it. Yes. All right. So ShipStation gives e-commerce sellers like King Croc, like you, more time to do what they really love. Spit and fire, baby. Spit and fire. Unless what you really love is managing every single little detail of your order fulfillment. Yo, is that what you're into? ShipStation. No. Wait station. Fat girls never go on eating vacation. Let's <laughs> go. ShipStation automates time 
uh, intensive shipping processes. So you can get back to focusing on bigger things like getting pussy. Yeah. You know, like developing new products, honing your marketing strategy, you know, or interacting with customers. No wonder ShipStation is already trusted by over 100,000 sellers, including your boy here because I'm a personal uh, ShipStation user. I just love that it, it helps me save money every oh. time because it gives you all the different shipping partners and you can pick which one is the cheapest so that you don't you're not spending an arm and a leg to ship nowadays and it's kind of expensive to ship right now let's be honest i need them shits for my mixtape hell yeah in fact 98% of companies that use shipstation for a year keep using it in in the long run as uh, you know for their business because they it's so useful and it saves them money so it really is Kind of a, a no-brainer. So now, what should the fans do? Look, it's time to let go of all those shipping tasks. ShipStation can do it better and faster. Sign up using promo code LDS for a free 60-day trial today at ShipStation.com and start saving time with every shipment. That's two whole months of shipping made quick and painless, and it's free to try. Just go to ShipStation.com, click on the microphone at the top of the page, and type in LDS. ShipStation, make ship happen. happen. Nigga! I want to hear about how you lost your virginity. Okay. Well, I lost <laughs> my virginity. Uh, in those days, uh, there I was... Like I said, I was 15, 16. Uh -huh. The juices were starting to you know, yes. grow. And uh, I was getting very horny. Mm -hmm. And in those days, it's, if you had told me at that time that there would be open pornography, mm -hmm. I mean, in those days, I used to go on 6th Avenue downtown Peep in show. the 20s. And there were these used bookstores, right. and I would buy artist and model magazines oh. just so I could look at some of these pictures mm -hmm. of tits. Nothing here, yeah, you know, all, yeah, yeah. But just to, the best, and, stuff that, and that would be yeah. great. That would be great to satisfy myself. Or, you yeah, know? yeah, of course. If you catch my drift, John, yes, John just mimed masturbating, and his hand was a good thirteen <laughs> inches away from his pelvis. <laughs> John, John, you have something to tell us. Yeah. He's hanging like a horse. So that, that was it. Mm. And then the first time I ever got laid was, uh, you know, I, I told you I was used to hang out with all these guys uh, between 96th Street and 72nd Street on Broadway. Mm -hmm. And on between, so Broadway and then West End Avenue and then Riverside Drive and Central Park. And then Columbus Avenue and Amsterdam Avenue was basically uh, a lot can you hear me all right yeah, here we go, there we go that's we're, exactly we're what basically, we basically we're King basically uh, th that whole area mm -hmm. that was irish irish okay oh, poor irish mix. poor irish filthy and dirty gangs, railroad and gangs, building and, mix. and gangs and there was one My gang people. there i remember I it was called irish the bankers because he used to hang out right oh, on the bank. corner of 96th street and broadway mm -hmm. called the manufacturers hanover bank mm -hmm. and these guys were the bankers and nobody wanted to fuck with them. I mean, they were they oh, were very cool. tough. And the guy who was the leader of that gang, they just called him Face. Face. And I'm sure he became <laughs> he became uh, involved with the Westies, which was then you know worked with the mafia no. and killing people and that kind of stuff. Jesus. But the, the the tough Jews that I was hanging out with yeah. uh, mainly. Yeah. But I you know I had friends with a bunch of people in high school. Like we were saying, I'd get shot up at 7.30 and I'd feel, he'd say, you feel much better now, huh, Junior? Yeah, you yeah. do. Yeah, yeah, okay, Max. But by the afternoon, right. I was coming down and I always got into trouble in school. 
because I would get in bad conduct. I would always be talking mm -hmm. and not studying. Mm -hmm. And my father used to say, all the other refugee kids are the best in their class. And why do you have to hang out with your gangster friends at the pool room? And, so, yeah. and they were so busy getting their own lives together. Uh -huh. There wasn't a lot of time, oh, what's going to happen to Johnny? You know, mm -hmm. what's going to happen? So um, that was just the way it was. And um, I barely got out of high school. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I tell you, uh, but, and it was while, while I was in high school, mm -hmm. two of my, I got interested I, st I started listening to jazz at that time, oh, and nice. I really dug it. That's a good. That's a way to, to, to get and, and the gateway drug to dope. Dude. Of course. Well, oh, no, yeah. I don't, so, so, and I'm, the ladies. I'm coming to that. Mm -hmm. I'm coming to that. That goody. Mm -hmm. So um, this is now 1949, 1950, and it was just I, I had no frame of reference for listening to this kind of music because mm -hmm. I heard no music at all. From the time, you know, I lived in Germany and then in France and the all of that. Suddenly I hear this stuff and it was just the beginning of the bebop era. Mm. Charlie Parker, mm -hmm. Dexter Gordon, Bud Powell, mm -hmm. uh, great singers, uh, Sarah Vaughan, Carmen McRae, mm -hmm. Billie Holiday, Anita O'Day, all that. And I really got into that. And there were two black guys in my class one was Al Grant, mm -hmm. and the other one was Kit Green, and they were just into Never the music. Class and I hung out, and I hung out with them. I hung <laughs> oh, out with yeah. a couple of white guys too that dug the music. Mm. But uh, these guys were my favorites, and I would go up to Harlem, and there was a store on 125th Street called Carol's Music, and I still have some records, you know, like 78s. Yeah. Mm. I still have like wow. 80, 90 records wow. of Thelonious Monk mm -hmm. and Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and Dexter Gordon. Is it true you snorted heroin off one of those 78s with uh, no, Malcolm X? No, I never did. <laughs> I snorted heroin. I, on, well, let me tell you. Kit Green, I, I'd been to their house. They invited me a couple of times mm -hmm. uh, to parties. And there was one other kid, Bobby Deeb, who was a white kid and who also was into jazz. But he and I were the only white kids, and we were invited to the to this guy's house. Uh, and uh, one day, we're at the house, and I gotta tell you something, and I wanna get into politics or anything, uh -huh. but the black community at that time, they still had you know uh, segregation down mm -hmm. south, and it was a lot of stuff, but the families were together. Mm -hmm. You're triggering Austin right now. There were fathers around. There were fathers. There around. were fathers around. I say that all the time, sir. Oh, yeah. I know. You Pe know. People hate that. Oh, I know. I it's, know. It's but that's crazy. the big you know problem. What? See, King Croc here, he is absolutely on your side. He's conservative about traditional black values in the family yeah, unit. He right. so One time he went on a rant about the importance of the black family coming back together. Oh, yeah, and I'm Austin sorry. called him racist. Yeah. Austin oh, called him a, word a racist. That's the misused. Yeah. Word in the in the vocabulary is this whole race. That's right, shit. Austin. Mm -hmm. So uh, one time we went up to uh, to to the a party up there, and uh, Kit says to me, "Hey, come up on the roof, Des." My nickname was Des. Des, I like that. Hey, Des, like come up too. on the roof. We got some music playing up there too. So we go up the roof. John Coltrane's up and, there. And no, <laughs> I, I, no, I, I don't. But it was it was all great stuff. Uh -huh. And he comes up to me, and I could smell right away. Mm -hmm. uh -oh. And he says to me, Reaper. hey, Des, 
You want to try some reefer? Oh, oh shit. Reefer. Oh, yeah. I'd heard about it, but uh-huh. I never did, did that. So uh, I take like two or three hits. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've said this many times when people ask me about you know my drug experience. Mm-hmm. I said, that's the first time in my life that I felt normal. Mm. Wow. I said, so this is what normal feels like. It's like me. It, it this is what normal feels like. Did it cure your PTSD from all those years of fleeing Nazi well, persecution? Well, it helped me because from that moment on, I said, I got to do more of this. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then I got myself off the Max Jacobson routine. Yeah. I wasn't going there anymore in the morning, and so the methamphetamine withdrawal I just switched that, and I got into marijuana. Hell yeah! And I started drinking at that time nice. also. Wow. That's good. But I never really cared for alcohol. Mm. But I love the buds. The I buds. love that. John. And then I got into mescaline, and oh, then years, then I got into hash. You know, hash. if you could get hash. John, I got some but, good news for you. Yeah. The two communists. Yes. They likewise love pot, and they have some for you here if you would like. No more. I've been up. sober. I'm getting to that. Uh, okay. Okay. Oh. Okay. Don't, John can't don't be a anymore. bad influence on me. Yeah, <laughs> come on. Don't be a bad influence. King Croc will be the one well, to pass that, it to that's you. When I so decided it'll feel like the 40s again. When, that's when I decided wow. <laughs> that marijuana is going to be my companion, and mm-hmm. I didn't predict anything, but it just stayed with me. Then I graduated high school, and like I think there were only three or four black guys mm-hmm. that were behind me. Otherwise, I was like at the bottom of the class. Hmm. I shouldn't even say all black guys because I think yeah. there were a couple of dummy whitey whiteies as well. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. But uh, I was a total fuck up. I mean, I just was terrible. I barely got out of high school. And uh, what am I going to do now? I'm, I'm, I'm almost 19. And a friend of mine, this other white kid, uh, says, hey, let's join the Navy Reserve. Mm. I said, what's that? He says, well, you can just join the Navy Reserve and you go to a meeting once a month uh, and it's uh, it's nothing. I said, is that part of the U.S. Navy? He said, yeah. So this is like, you know, 1950, 51. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh, we just finished a war. There's yeah. never going to be another next war. Next thing you know, you're off the coast of Korea. Guess the next thing the that happens is gun they, into a I get my they, the Korean war is uh-huh. on and it's a year into it. And one day I get a, a, a notice, you're called to active duty. Yep. Damn. So I ended up, uh, I didn't smoke a pot at all there. Mm. I had a friend named Arnie Haber, who I was coming back from New York, and we were stationed, we went to boot camp in Bainbridge, Maryland. And then I got put on a destroyer escort. Uh, and I did it's, that it's for, funny eight, because for eight he, months. He later destroyed a Korean escort's pussy. No, I was very lucky. <laughs> I was very lucky that I never got sent to Korea. Thank God. Because <clears throat> when they asked me what I wanted to do when I joined the Navy, uh, I said uh, my father had just gotten out of a school, saintly got his license back, and I didn't know what, you know, uh, they said, you want to be a gunner's mate or you want to do this or that? I said... Uh, I'll be a, a medic. He mm-hmm. said, oh, hospital corpsman. I said, yeah, so I'm going to be a medic. Jeez. So I ended up going to school for that for two months or mm-hmm. three months, whatever it was, mm-hmm. to become a Navy medic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, then I w- I, and then I got put on a ship for a while, the USS Osberg, uh, out of uh, 
out of New York, and we just cruised up and down from Nova Scotia down to Guantanamo Bay chasing subs. Mm -hmm. And I guess they were Russian subs, right? Mm Because at that time... Tell us about the time you accidentally killed a beluga whale. (laughs) No, no, yeah, none, like of that, none of that. They look like John subs. But I'll tell you what I what I try to. I, 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 I couldn't. I was again a new culture, a whole bunch of new guys, and nobody knew my background because I lied about everything. They said, right. Oh, and when I I still have my dog tags, you know. No. So, uh, Hell yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. Three eight four six four nine eight. He needs to be Fangerian. From 1952 to 54. Yes. That's amazing. And, uh, Thank you for your service. And uh, Thank you for your service. So we're killing uh, that it's whale. It's just uh, three years of that. It's and waters. I was very lucky because what I discovered, <coughs> which I didn't know, mm-hmm. is that when you're a Navy medic, you can be part of the Marines. The Marines, the Marine Corps is actually part of the U.S. Navy. Hmm. So the Marines were getting their asses kicked in Korea. It was yeah. a, another war that we really mm-hmm. fucked up. And you know, in retrospect, I say we shouldn't have been in it. But like Vietnam, another another disaster. Right. Like Anas, I mean, the last good war we had was World War Two. Mm. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm in the U.S. Navy, and I can't smoke, and I can't. So I'm I'm drinking now. I'm trying to I'm trying to drink like a real mad, you know, like I'm hanging out with these guys. Mm-hmm. And when we have leave, and we're going down to Charleston, South Carolina, or Norfolk. Or any of these places where we had, you know, when we got shore leave, and I'm trying to drink with the others, and I would always end up, you know, totally shit faced, mm-hmm. throwing up, and mm-hmm. feeling terrible. Mm-hmm. And so alcohol was shit never uh, something that I wanted to uh, learn how to use properly. Mm-hmm. You John, know? you didn't tell us how you lost your virginity. We can skip right. past that story. Okay, I got right, to hear. I want to hear. Maybe I want to hear about a sexual escapade down in okay, Norfolk, Virginia. Okay, I'm going to tell Virginia, you that that happened before I was I, in the Navy, mm-hmm. because hanging out with my pool room guys and hanging out with that group, yeah. there were two whores in that neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> one, one, Leo's uh, grandma and Austin's great aunt. <laughs> no, no, no. They were both they, Irish chicks. They were <laughs> Irish. I knew that he got it. probably my great grandmother. Dude, he found so a whore and he closed. He closed so the deal. So you got the West Side Highway, uh-huh. which is right along Riverside Drive. You know, on the west side, it goes up and down. And... Um, there, you'd pull off the West Side Highway and there'd be a little parking area. And I forgot how I got the connection, but I just wanted to get fucked, you know? I mean, yeah. I just, oh, I, yeah. Hell yeah. tired of the magazines, right. you know? Yeah. Stained, uh, you know, art and, art, artists and models, right. uh-huh. bare tit magazine. Mm. Right. So uh, I thought this is good. It was like $5 or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was terrible. Yeah. I mean, it was just like, Biff, buff, bam, thank uh, you, ma'am. Right. Uh, you know, and it was just... Uh, and that accent didn't it, help it either. Was not, it was not great. After after you come, you can get some taters in the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. So, I, that <laughs> so it was an that Irish whore. It was but an Irish whore. I started hanging out and going to dances. They used there to have dances on the west side. That's how you, you and get to be a ladies' I, Then man. I met a chick who was older. I was like... I don't know, 19, mm-hmm. something like that, just before going in the Navy. And um, Eleanor was her name. Mm. And I had a pretty steady going with her for a while. She what race in, was she? 
She was 25 or 26. Do you know what race she was? No, she was white. Huh? Was she a white girl? Was she Irish? A white girl, yeah. Irish? Irish? German? No, I, I, don't, I don't know. Lived in the Bronx. I just, I oh, love she how, was from the Bronx. I love how back then it wasn't white people. It was Irish, German, Italian. Yeah, that's right. You're exactly Mick, right. Kraut, Wop. I love that. Yeah. I love it. You know, isn't the problem with losing your virginity to an Irish woman, John, that she can't have an orgasm unless you're dressed like a leprechaun? <laughs> <laughs> you know... <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because uh, I've been married four times. Oh, wow. Mm. And uh, I have three great kids from two of them. Nice. Two sons and a daughter. And uh, I've always married these shikses. I've always married Irish Catholic girls. Wow. I don't know what, you know, it was like, can't you marry a nice Jewish girl, you know? You love that but fire my, crush. My, well, the first, first girl I married... This is after I came out of the Navy, obviously, mm -hmm. and I became an actor. And that's a whole, mm -hmm. I'll get to that in a minute if you're interested. Mm -hmm. And her name was uh, Dawn Mitchell, and she was a ballet dancer in the New York City Ballet. Damn, and she I was a, a young body. actor in New York. That body was looking and real nice. I was 24, 25 years old. Oh, yeah, she was wonderful. <laughs> and we, 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 we had a Stop thing, it, and then after, you know, going out for a few months, we decided, let's get married. Yeah. I used to think I was such a sucker. You know, you have to remember in the 1950s, even in the 40s, all the movies and all the songs were about love mm -hmm. and marriage mm -hmm. and, you know, and Frank's forever and ever. Alley. And every, all of that. So right. Dawn and I met and I, I lived with, with her for a short while and we said, let's get married. So we said, okay, we'll get married. So, um, no church or anything. We just went down to City Hall in New York and got a license. And somebody said, do you take this? Blah, 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 blah. Did the whole thing. And that, that marriage, we, we, we just ended up living in her apartment, which was on Columbus Avenue and 71st Street in my old neighborhood, you know, where I grew up. And uh, she was, she was uh, in the New York City Ballet. She was a very wow. talented chick. Wow. And uh, this is after I came out of the Navy. And um, so what happened when I came out of the Navy, actually, this Gave her is, again, you talk about luck or God <laughs> working in your life. Yeah. I'm walking. I had just bit, gotten discharged from the Navy, mm -hmm. still alive, didn't end up with the Marine Corps in Korea and getting killed, which is they used to shoot the corpsmen, you know. So this is what the enemy used to do. Mm. They'd, they'd wound the snipers. The Koreans did it, the Vietnamese, the Japanese did it. You know, I don't know what happened here, you know, in the Middle East. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, it's all that reefer you used to smoke. That's probably it, yeah. <laughs> John, no, I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. You keep going. I just, I got to pee, but I'm, I don't want to miss it. Can you give me something to drink? A yeah, do water? we have something to drink over there? I can, I'll go grab some water bottles downstairs. Yeah, so we just took a little intermission. Dino's running down to grab some water. Mm -hmm. John, I heard you talking to Austin, and Austin was playing the whole, this generation with the, the, the she-they and, <laughs> and, and the burning Bibles and the, and, and the pro-choice. Don't be fooled. This guy is as red as Santa Claus's hat. Oh, no, I don't believe it. No, he is. <laughs> Come on, bullshit. No, wait, don't, don't say that. <laughs> no, he is. This guy, he, he does it. He's a chameleon. He's sort of like you back in Europe. He oh, pretends okay. whatever political persuasion the guest is, he blends in. But I'm telling you, 
You he know is. the old saying, if you don't learn from history, you'll be forced to repeat it. Mm. That's what's happening. And all you got to do is go on some st stations. I watch, I'm like a World War II, I won't call it a junkie, but I'm still fascinated by the, and I know the history really, really well mm -hmm. uh, of what happened uh, in, in that period. Uh, I'm learning a little bit more about the Civil War and another brutal, another horrible, horrible event. Mm -hmm. But, oh, thanks, man. Uh, so, um, I just have to say that uh, you should have got him some they, don't teach, water. they don't teach the yeah, kids what's butter. going on. All you got to do is <coughs> look on some of these documentaries of the 30s, before the war started, when yep. the Nazis were just getting into power. And you see, Zeke Heil, yeah. half of them are women too, or more mm -hmm. than half. Of course, yeah. Emotionally, oh. It's like Elvis or it's like Frank's, whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, mein Führer, my, oh, oh they're all in love, you know. Mm -hmm. It's just terrible. And the economic policy of Germany at that time, it was forced on them, to be fair. The mm -hmm. rampant inflation, that's what created oh, yeah. the situation in which a Hitler could arise. And it drives me crazy. Mm -hmm. That massive inflation led to the rise of Hitler because he could blame the inflation, the lack right. of purchasing power on the Jews. Well, Austin is a huge proponent of Build Back Better. And he just wants Joe Biden to keep spending and spending. And I told him, Austin, we can't debase the currency any further or we're not going to be able to afford gasoline. I know. And he just refuses to understand basic economics. Yeah. Refuses. He carries around the Communist Manifesto in his book Oh, sack. bullshit. He does. Tell me that. He loves it. <laughs> Marx is the god to which he kneels. It's horrible. That's horrible. Horrible, horrible. Fuck you, Austin. <laughs> you know? So let me just uh, tell you a little bit uh, about my grown-up part of life. Sure. So I get out of the Navy. Can you hear me okay? Oh, we can yeah. hear you great. I get out of the Navy, and I swear to God, I don't think I, I was even out for more than maybe a week. And I'm walking on Broadway and 48th Street, the center of, you know, music business and downtown Manhattan. And I bump into a guy whose name was Jack Garfine. I had met him six years earlier in the same boarding house where we were living. Oh, wow. And he was the sole survivor of a family of 25 people that were all murdered during the Holocaust. Oh, no. Wow. Jack Garfine. So I, I bump into him on Broadway. I Johnny, Jack, big hug. What's What are you doing, man? I said... <clears throat> I just got out of the Navy. I was in, you know, the Navy for almost three years. What are you doing, Jack? He says, I'm a director. I'm directing a play. Wow. I said, you're directing a play? What? I'd never been to the theater. I mm -hmm. didn't know what that, what that was. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, as a matter of fact, we're, we're going to have a first reading right now. And right upstairs here in one of the studios, right on, on Broadway in 48th, would you like to see what it's all about? Would you like to come? Have you got time? I said, oh, I'd love to, man. I have nothing to do. So I go upstairs. We walk into the room. There's like eight or ten guys sitting around this table with scripts. And Jack says, hey, guys, I want you to meet an old friend of mine, Johnny Dessler. I just, he just came out of the Navy. Can you imagine? Yeah. So I want you to meet some of the guys. This is George Pappard. This is no. Anthony Franciosa. This is Dennis Hopper. This no. is uh, Albert Salmi. 
And these are all guys that were, everybody was unknown at that point. But they became famous. And, and he said, and the play we're doing is called End as a Man. And it's about a military cadet in Southern America, in, in, in the United States, <clears throat> who's a, like a sadistic guy. His name was Jaco de Paris. And it's all about that. And it's, mm. it's going to be, it became a, quite a successful Broadway play. And then they made a movie out of it called The Strange One. Oh, wow. So I'm sitting there and just, you know, listening to the whole thing for about two and a half, three hours while they're just going. You know, if you know anything about acting, when you read the first script, you're not acting. You're just sort of trying to get an idea what this thing is about and what your part is. Right? <clears throat> so we get out of that, and I say, hey, nice meeting you guys. And I go down, and Jack says to me, so Johnny, what'd you get? what did you think about that? Yeah. And I said, I want to be an actor. Right. <laughs> He said, are you kidding? I said, no, I have no, uh, you know, I barely got out of high school, but I've had quite an interesting life. Mm. And I, th you know, I lied about my identity many times already, and mm. I'd, I'd like to do that. I think I, I might have an innate talent for that. Ah. He says, I'll put you in touch with, with a teacher. And like a week later, I'm with Nola Chilton, who he recommended me to, and... Um, I became an actor, mm. started studying. Then I studied with a guy named William Hickey, mm. who was a great teacher, actor as well. And I ended up, I did this whole thing for almost nine years, from the time I got out of the Navy until I was 29 or almost 30 years old. And by then I'd been in Broadway, uh, off-Broadway plays, mm. and I did a little bit of you know acting, uh, some television bit parts on TV and this mm. and that. And I was married to the lovely Dawn Mitchell, who was a dancer. That's how I met her. She saw me in one of the <laughs> off-Broadway plays that I was in. So th that's how it all went. And I really got into the whole acting thing. <coughs> and I thought, this is great. But I had part-time jobs, you know, mm -hmm. working in a deli, working with, I mean, I I've written my memoirs, and I write about some of the people that I met during that time. And it was always like scruffing along and trying to make a living. And mm. other guys that, you know, moved to Hollywood, Steve McQueen, a bunch wow. of other, you know, Ben Gazzara, Love Steve Tony Franciosa, they, mm. they, 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 they clicked. And I, nobody ever said to me, and I started thinking in my own head, I was a decent looking young guy in my 20s, you know, but I didn't look Italian. And I didn't look American, mm -hmm. like a Steve McQueen, you know, right. blonde, curly hair, blue eyes. I just, I was like, in, but I was smart enough and I guess hip enough at that point, you know, always into music, of course, mm -hmm. and hanging out with musicians. And during that time, by the way, I really got into getting high all the time. No. And, uh, <clears throat> but everybody else was as well. Mm -hmm. But I never got into cocaine. And I never, I never wanted to shoot up anymore after the Max Jacobson experience of doing that for a year and a half when I was 15 and 16. As you can tell, marijuana has done nothing really to your brain. No, it hasn't. Very sharp. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. And I was never a couch potato or anything like that. Active. I was always very active. <laughs> That's, That's the important. key. I think the key is to be active, right? And your and, diet, and I mean, you, if we may ask real quick. I don't know. You just whatever, know. Huh? I, I used to eat all kinds of other shit, but right. I was always relatively... You know, right now, I, I think I eat salmon right. three or four times a week. Nice. I eat pussy fish. five or six. Yeah, I have, I have 
<laughs> I have chicken <laughs> once in a while. Hell I hardly yeah. ever have any kind of uh, meats once in a while. Uh-huh. The, my my so-called girlfriend that I've been with for 20 years now uh-huh. uh, made me a nice hamburger. She knows how to do that really nice Gelson's nice. best chop, yeah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, all that shit. How yeah. old is your girlfriend? She's in her early 80s. She was a famous actress. Her name is Barbara Steele. Mm. Barbara Steele. And Why she made a whole bunch of uh, 18. She was in Eight and a Half, that movie, Barbara okay. Steele. John, do you still have sex with her? I haven't fucked anything in the last... Five years. Why not? Doesn't work anymore. Really? Yeah, he's he's no. eighty. It, it stopped working at eighty-five. It had a good By run. Eighty-five. Yeah, but I'm I sure if you wanted to take I, Viagra, I had another. Uh, the woman I'm talking about, I shouldn't really get into total details, but mm-hmm. we we met twenty-two years ago, and at that time we had quite a hot romance for a while, and then uh, she decided uh, she didn't want to anymore, and. Uh, the girlfriend I had before that was a little bit younger, but about the same, and she was still very motivated, let me put it. Yeah. <laughs> so I continued to have an affair with her. Nice. Wow. So I had these two women in my... But I've always liked having two women. Hell yeah. You hear that? You I've hear always that? Had, I've always had two women in my life. Wow. That's right. Because I was always very insecure. It uh, wasn't that I was being well, a, yes. a super Don Juan or anything. Right. I was always, I always felt, oh, they're going to walk out on me. Oh, they're going to leave That's me. See, part of this am, whole war experience remained with me my whole life. Of course. John, uh, do you, if you had to live life again, would you still have two women at all times? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, you know why? You know. I'll tell you. You know what I'll, I'll t- why I why I tell you that? Yes. Because I've discovered through my long life and through many, 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 many women, mm. married and girlfriends and all the rest of it, you know, that women are much tougher emotionally than guys. They are. It's interesting because all of the music that I sing, you know. You would oh, agree with anything he said. Lover come back man, to me. You know I mean? oh, yeah. Mexicans should be put in camps. If they I, should. You know, You're all the songs, right, you know, you know, the music. And it's always about, oh, darling, don't leave me. And what can I do without you? And all this shit. But it's basically, I've seen women. And when they end a relationship or when it's over, it's like, chung. Cold, cold, cold. Oh, yeah. Guys are always that. like, oh, Recently. my heart. Oh, darling. Yep. Oh, baby. Oh, you know, all the rest of the shit. shit so, uh, and now, and that, or I, or you, you submit to being uh, like the Yiddish word, altakakar, an old, an old fogey. Mm. Uh, and I see people here, you know, shopping, and the guys that are 20 years younger than me, or they're in their uh. mid-70s, and they're all kind of hunched over. Oh, yeah. And the woman is right there, and she's picking. She says, Sam, come over here. What a cock So you attribute no? your vitality at such an advanced age to getting pussy. Oh, I think a good part of it is that, yeah. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> yes! <laughs> this guy gets pussy, Leo. <laughs> 
I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spread me. Clipped. We have to clip that needs that. to be. I was thinking the exact same thing, Leo. That is the most incredible thing I've ever seen in well, my life. Well, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. He does sound like Donald Trump a little bit he too. Does. Okay, right. Uh, well, it's New Yorker. It's New Yorker. The reason I'm a New Yorker is so young. When people say I can't stand the way Trump talks, you're like, wow. I say. I'm completely comfortable with the way he acts and the way he talks. That's what my dad says, too. Because it's New York. It's New York. And He's just a, a New York guy. Queens, New York. And yeah. it's Queens. So you're from yeah. New York, right. I spent most of my time in New York, but I'm getting to my overs. Then I, so I tried being an actor for almost eight years, and one day when I got to be like 29 years old, I said to myself, I don't think I want to do this anymore. I want to make a living. Mm -hmm. A living. You know the wonderful Jewish joke? I, people don't tell jokes anymore, but I love the Jewish joke of a guy, an old guy that worked in the garment district for many years, <clears throat> and he always had the same routine. Every day at around 12.30, he'd leave for his lunch break, and he'd walk across 7th Avenue, and he'd go to the little corner store, and he'd get you know, a bagel with cream cheese and an egg cream. And that was it. And one day, it's a rainy day, and as he's crossing, a cab accidentally cuts the corner and hits him, and he's lying on the ground, and the cops are calling an ambulance, and the cop looks in his wallet, and he puts something under his head and says, Mr. Goldstein, are you comfortable? And Goldstein looks up and says, I make a living. <laughs> that's a Jewish, <laughs> that's a Jewish joke. That's a Jewish you gotta joke. Get to New York. John, I make a living. John, you mentioned jokes, and yeah. you seem like you have a great sense of humor. Well, when I first walked in here today, our producer Austin told me a very foul joke indeed. Yeah, let's hear it. Very off color. I'm going to tell it to you. And it's strange because a guy who's so anti-free speech, yeah. you would expect him to not spread smut like this. I'm going to tell it right now, though. Yeah, go. He said, hey, Danny, you know my grandfather died in the Holocaust in Auschwitz. And I went, oh, I didn't know that, Austin. And then Austin goes, he fell off the guard tower. Oh, my. Uh, he did say that. And I just went, it's an old joke. Shame on you. Yeah, Shame you on know, you. It's, it's kind of like anything that has to do with, you know, the extermination of millions of people in gas chambers and, and torture and all mm -hmm. of that. It's kind of a taboo subject, you know. So, but here we are 60 years later. Uh -huh. And I, I, you know, I can, I dig it. You know, I can see, you know, it's, 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 it's not funny. that funny. Yeah, Austin. I mean, it, it, it could be funny. It could be funny. It could be funny. Uh <laughs> Yeah, because humor is always in the what you don't expect, and then yes. it yeah. comes up. So you mm -hmm. don't expect, you know, a, a guy that is up in the top. Yeah. Anyway. Being his grand, he so, was, yeah. um, uh, John, I just want to say right now that yeah, Austin man. didn't say that. Didn't That's say an that. old nasty around. joke. It's I old came joke. up with that, and I apologize oh, okay. for saying it in your You're presence. Forgiven. You're I, forgiven. You're forgiven. <laughs> Thank you, John. I, I, I won't put that evil on Austin. I've been yeah. slandered. <laughs> yeah, I've been slandered all day. <laughs> So I, change your pace. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the good part was meeting Jack Garfine, who uh, died a few years ago, lived in Paris, moved from New York, was with the actor's studio and all of that stuff. And, and I got into the whole acting scene mm -hmm. and had a moderate success and studied with Strasbourg, who was the big guru at right. that time, you know, and uh, was in a class with a lot of people. Somebody was asking me at the gym the other day, 
an actor said, so who was in your class? Did Marilyn, uh, I said, yeah, Marilyn Monroe was in my class. Holy shit. Uh, one summer around 19, whatever it was, you know, 56. You, you ever try to get handsy with Marilyn? No, no. She always was, she, she'd come in. <laughs> she always had glasses on. Okay. And oh, she, she always had a stuff. black thing on she was, her head. She was in her, oh, okay. Got I, I like kind how you of say, incognito, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like how you say get handsy, Leo. I'm just imagining John run at her, grabbing hey, for her baby. butt. Yeah. yeah. yeah just no, no, no consent no, for like seduction. That. So uh, by 29, I was married already with Dawn and had that uh, that one year of f little fling, whatever, mm -hmm. but it was a marriage. And then I met another woman, <clears throat> uh, a blue-eyed uh, lady who I met at a party, and uh, she was another ward, Irish. You know, for an old Jew like me, I never oh, married, yeah. I, I was always married to the Shikses, you know, I was yeah. always married to the blue, I, Irish. John, so she was isn't another. The best Irish thing about woman. having sex with an Irish woman is making her call out to Saint Sebastian while you pink soccer, then come <laughs> on her face. What's <laughs> <laughs> wrong with you? What the fuck is wrong with you, you sick bastard? John, uh, so you had these two women. So nineteen, you said nineteen twenty-nine. You start, sorry, when you were twenty-nine years old, you wanted to get a real make a living. So yeah, what make did you a living, doing? and it was yeah, like nineteen sixty. Yeah, and. Uh, I didn't know what to do, you know, but I knew that I had to do something uh, beside working in part-time jobs. Of course. Uh, doing, you know, the stuff that most actors do, you know. Yeah. I love that acting joke, you know, where a guy is in a restaurant and he's getting terrible service and the guy says to the waiter, this is the worst service I've ever had. He said, well, I'm really an actor. He said, well, try acting like a fucking waiter. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so um, I, I met a woman at that time, older, who was a friend of uh, the family of my mother and father in New York, an American woman. And she said, Johnny, you should try and work in the advertising business. I said, what's that? She said, it's an advertising agency. Well, I don't have to tell you guys because you've probably all seen Ad, uh, Mad, Mad Men. Men. Yes, I've watched so, it. It's my favorite show of all time. Okay, so so at the age of <clears throat> 29 or 30, I get a job. I, I said, well, I'm going to try and get a job in that business. So what do you do in those days? I never went to college. I was expert at lying about everything. Thank mm -hmm. you. That's what I've been trying to tell King Croc. You got to lie on your resume. Yeah, I lied you about. Lie every, I lied about everything all the time about Jew, about this, about yes. I lied about everything you all the time. You was part to. of my mo. Sometimes you have to. So uh, I look in the New York Times, the Sunday Times, in the employment section. Look under advertising agencies. Oh, there, there's a one, and it says wanted trainee. $45 a week, young, and I gave the phone number, young and Rubicam. Hmm. So I had no idea who they were. I mean, like prestigious, you know, it's mm -hmm. like if you look for a banking job and you see Citicorp or right. Chase. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I ended up getting a job. They hired me. They said, you know, and they didn't do all of the kind. It's before computers. Well, actually, interestingly enough, at that time, in 1960, YNR in New York, had one whole floor that was with a Univac computer, 
and the floor was raised this high because all the cables were underneath it. Gotcha. It was yeah the and earliest your, computers. Your little cell phone. It's yeah. probably now got that's more information. This is more powerful than than that know, whole thing. Whole so room. that's what they had. So I got a job working, and they said, "Okay, you're going to work as a trainee." I said, "What's that?" So my trainee job was working and delivering mail to all of these different people in the departments, and I did that. And then they moved me to the traffic department, which is, you 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 go to the copywriters, and you go to the art directors, and you go to the research people, and you uh, follow through and you set up a schedule and they have to have that ready. And that's sort of how you learn to be an account executive. Now, now, exact, now an account executive was what Don Draper was in Mad Men, but why it's... it's no, 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 he was a creative guy. At, but he started as an account yeah, executive. Yeah, right, right. So, but it's important because it kind of set up what advertising is, what we see now. Yeah. It was, was birthed during those years, mainly in New York, where you were working in yeah. the 60s. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was in New York, and uh, that's how I learned what it was all about. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess I'm a pretty fast learner, and you know, I just picked it up and I worked very hard, and I started hanging out with some of the guys that were in the trainee program, mm -hmm. and uh, one guy was a graduate of Dartmouth, and another one was a graduate of Princeton, and another one, you know, they were all, and they said, where did you go to school, John? I said, Long Island University, without uh -huh. flinching. Uh -huh. And that was a third-rate school to begin with, uh -huh. right? right? But at least I said I went to, you know, graduated college. Yeah. Oh, yeah, when did you get out? So I never told anybody about the Navy. I just put all of that in, and I said... Oh, I got on a 54, you know. That's insane because and, Don Draper, he was lying about his background oh, yeah. and his Everybody war said story. to me when, they, when that show came out, they said, you're like that guy on the show. I yeah. said, yeah, that's right, absolutely. So um, it's my boy Don, I did man. that in New York, and then I got, after two years working in the traffic department, they promoted me and I became an account executive, wow. which is that you have one or two accounts that you're in charge of, right. and then you have a, a guy above you who's a supervisor, and you got another guy, an account director, but you're sort of like in the trenches, the and you're working on this account, you know. Now, is that where you, maybe a few more ladies were looking your way, thinking, wow. Uh, yeah, I never did any, you know, it's funny you mention that, because until much later, I just sort of set up, it was hard enough playing the part you know, years later, somebody said, uh, you know, so John, so what about your acting career? I said, oh, I, I didn't make it in acting. They said, bullshit. Your greatest role was working at Young and Rubicamp and going and becoming this big advertising star in that business, which mm -hmm. I'll get to in a minute, in all modesty. <laughs> but the thing is, but, uh, so Leo's, Leo's my greatest lady, role is acting straight. So my, my biggest, my biggest... <laughs> that got the response it deserved. <laughs> hey, so listen, man. Uh -huh. uh, so I, I had a rule. I said, don't date anybody where you work. Smart. Don't go out with anybody where you work. And I thought a lot of people do that anyway. Yeah, I but up. I always thought that's not a good thing to do. I was hip enough and wise enough and suspicious enough to know that if something happens, you date somebody and then you break it off, which was my usually what happened. Of course. Then you're stuck and you're not a good thing. So I never went out with anybody. So after about three years, and I was married, that was my second marriage. Uh -huh. And with her, Cynthia, she's living up in- uh, in, Queens? Uh, 
in no up, upstate New, uh, upstate California. Is Sausalito, she alive still? In Sausalito. Oh wow. She's old. She's nine years younger than me. Have uh, you ever revisited her in your older age? Oh yeah. You still hook up with her? Yeah, I, I still see her. And then there's another one that I, wow. the, the mother of my son Peter, uh-huh. who's now 44, and who just came up with a company that makes vegan food. Nice, Peter. Uh, and he then and my daughter. So I had a daughter and a son. My daughter, I talked to this morning, she's up in San Fran, oh. and she works for a company called AmeriCare, mm. and she's doing really well. She's the one that had like the most golden education, uh, and I paid for part of it, and then she borrowed money. Uh, she went to, when she got out of high school in New York, she went to the Sorbonne in Paris for a year, then she went to Cornell and graduated Cornell College. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then six Smart. years later, she got into Harvard Business School mm-hmm. and did a year at Harvard Business School. And, she's, and she used to say to me, oh, Daddy, you know, I'm working so hard and I'm just not making a lot of money. I said, honey, because you're working in San Francisco, which is very liberal and very to the left, yep. and you've got this crazy idea that American corporate life is evil, and you want to do something. Yep. So she ended up working for places like uh, Trust for Public Land, mm. the Health Forum, and all this kind of stuff. But now she's got a, a much better job, and she's doing very well. I'm very proud of That's, her. I wanted, to, I wanted to ask you how you felt about your daughter working in San Francisco, among rubbing shoulders with all those communists. Yeah, well, I never wanted to get into that. And I never was really conscious about politics or any of that stuff until maybe the last 20 years after I wasn't working anymore because mm-hmm. I just thought it was crazy. I always felt conservative in my in my viewpoints, but I didn't give a shit about Reagan or Bush or any anybody, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, so um, when I worked at YNR in New York, I, I worked there for three years as an account executive on Procter and Gamble business on on a detergent. Holy shit! And that's big. So when no, you work big. when big you work ads. on package products, goods, yeah. when you work on package goods, it's not just making ads or commercials. It's doing the marketing, and you know you really learn a lot. So I learned more at working on a P and G product in two or three years, and I ended up working with them when I went to Europe, which I'll get to in a second. Then I learned. Then I could have learned at Harvard or anybody. You know, they're just very smart. Yeah. So and I'm and I'm like a sponge, you know. And I lied about you know college and all of that, but I, I learned everything on the on the job, yep. kind of. You know, that's, that's the beauty of working and figure it out as you go. Yeah. Austin over there, he's one of these. Uh, bedroom intellectuals who he's got to plan everything out. Is that right? Yeah, I and he just it. and wow. I, 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 I learn trial by error. Yeah, he, yeah. he learns <laughs> through reading dissertations by grad students at UC Berkeley. Mm. That's everything's theoretical. It makes me sick. I'm just like, put on a pair of work shoes and pick up a shovel, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> pick up a fucking shovel. Hey, you're the one that was telling me I should get the landlord to fix the toilet. You should. When I could just fix it in five minutes myself. Oh, that's great. See, that's the best <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, Become a janitor. John, I think we're getting pretty close to wrapping up here. We've done a mm-hmm. tremendous, tremendous show. We'll have to have you back okay. on uh, for I, part well, two. Well, let me give you five more minutes, all right? Yeah, five all right. more minutes. And I want to get 
your best piece of wisdom yes, for our generation. We must yes. hear that. All these years on Earth, we want your number one Ooh, piece boy, of advice. What a load you're putting on me. We've already, you've already told us that getting pussy keeps you young, which that's is great. Huge. Yeah, well, that's, that's good. huge. That's yeah, well, that's uh, good. And, and, and learning. <laughs> and, uh, King Karak likes that piece of advice. Yeah. So what what happened is when I worked at YNR in this business. <laughs> yeah. After three years of working in New York, and I was married to Cynthia, the mother, my, the, the, my first mother with children, mm -hmm. with my, Who you're my still son saying. and my daughter mm -hmm. with her. And she had gone to school for a year when she was like in boarding school or something. And, and I found out that uh, these advertising agencies, YNR, they had offices all over, starting to build networks all over the world. So I volunteered. And I'll make this very quick. We went to Europe, and I ended up starting as a, an account supervisor on Procter & Gamble in Frankfurt, Germany for mm -hmm. a year and a half. Then they moved me to Brussels, mm -hmm. and I worked in Brussels, and I got... They used to... When, when, when these companies uh, promote you, it's not like they give you more money and you go from here to here. No, they move you to the next office. Mm -hmm. And at that time, they were building a network of offices all over. So I get moved to Brussels, and within three years, now I've been in Europe for five years already, and they make me the managing director of, of the YNR office in Brussels. Mm, 60 people, Huge. and I become like a managing, you know, like a CEO of this company in, in Brussels. And I do that for three years, and then they move me again, and I get sent to Vienna. And I start a company in Vienna, and I'm there for three years. Then they move me to Madrid. And I, and, and I run a company there. And finally, they moved me after three years there back to Frankfurt. And it's the biggest office YNR has outside of New York. It's like 300 people when I was there. And, and did you and, find that when you were in those cities that you were picking up different hobbies? Like, so, for instance, when you were in Vienna, were you smoking cigars, psychoanalyzing? No, I was smoking when you were, hash. Were, hash. Hash. <laughs> when you were in Madrid, did you start fighting bulls? I was smoking hash. And then when you, <laughs> and then when you got back to Germany again, did you start shitting on women's chests? No, I didn't do any of that. <laughs> you were smoking hash. And I had, a, I had a really hard time. But honestly, now, you uh -huh. know, going back to Europe... And denying my background, because everybody just thought, oh, this is John Dessler, this very smart, very aggressive American businessman, and he's run all these companies now. And I had a reputation suddenly, you know, like after being in Europe for 10 years, 11 years, from 64 to 76, and I got, you know, like offers from, Powerful and I man. started making very good money, and I sabotaged my own thing with marriages f falling apart, and my using, uh, you know, it, I was able to have a great career and that didn't, you know, the smoking and the drinking never really interfered with me. Mm. It wasn't like, you know, was I was piece a of advice right there. hanging out. I just, I was very good at everything. Then they sent me back to New York and I was offered a job running the whole international operation for Gray Advertising, one of the top 10 agencies. Mm. They had 26 offices around the world and I was, chairman and, and CEO of that outfit. They doubled my salary. I was making a shitload of money in yeah. those days and all of that. And all I could think about was I just want to get out of here. My marriages are not working. By then I've had three wives and everything is you know just falling apart. And I sort of sabotaged my own career mm. and I quit. And then I went to a, my daughter's 
wedding, my for her first wedding in, in the early 90s, and I meet this woman there dancing, and she's 32, and I'm 62. Yes. And, and I fall in love. I met her, and I couldn't yes. get her. I couldn't get her Dog out back. of my <laughs> fucking mind. Yes. All I could think about was this girl. Uh-huh. Shall I mention her name? Yeah. She lives in town. She lives in Long Beach. Yeah. Lauren. Wow. And wow. she was six foot two, just gorgeous, and wow. it was just incredible. And I ended up marrying her, and great wedding. By then, I still ha- I had a house in St. John in the Virgin Islands. Mm. Holy shit! Oh, I Did had. You take I, her I was doing very well. I had a great apartment Islands. in New York. Wow. I still had money. I was, you mm. know all this stuff and meanwhile i just wanted to stop working and uh start fucking i just started uh i was yeah and it was just it was just crazy and as i said i was drinking more i was using drugs i never got into cocaine and i never got into shooting up anything beside you know when i was a teenager with the, with the methamphetamine in the, in the ass uh, otherwise i was just an old pothead and uh, drinking at night and stuff like that. And um, then my son, who lives in town also, I got him to move here, he got into AA, and one day, and that was in 19, two, in 2004, I was 72 years old. Wow. And he Were said, you still hey, with your younger bride at that point? No, she left me after four years. Four years, were you two? Four just- years, and I went, I did an amends, and AA, you meet, made a, you know, you do the steps, yeah, the and amends. you make amends, and when I made amends to all of these other women that I would married with, and people that I really didn't treat bad, you know, didn't treat well, I made all of these amends, and when I saw Lauren, now she lives in Long Beach with a guy she's been with for quite a while, not married, never got married, never had kids, and we had a, some great time together, and it just ended one day from the other. She said, I'm moving into another room, and that was it. By then, I'd been married three times. I said, honey, let's just end this right now. Mm-hmm. So we had a no-fault divorce in uh, in 19, uh, oh, God, uh, you know, I forgot. What the, Were the two of you on the Virgin Islands taking shots of rum, having sex in the surf? Oh, yes. <laughs> All of that. It was. It was pretty. For four great. years straight. It was, huh? For four, four years, years straight, huh? No, not for. I had the. I owned the place for eight years, and I only lived down there for two years, trying to sell it mm. at the end. And that's after Lauren left me and all of the rest of it. And when I made an amends to her, you make amends in AA. I hadn't seen her in five years, and I called her up, and she still was working at this, uh, at this phone number. And I said, Lauren, I just want to let you know I'm in a program, I'm sober, and this and that. And when I got together with her um, one morning you. here on Pico at a coffee bean, and she's, I said to her, Lauren, we loved each other. We had such a great hot romance, and it was just, and I know that you left me because you wanted to have kids, and I already had three kids. Mm-hmm. And she says, that's not why I left you. I said, oh, really? She says, no, I left you because I didn't realize you were a total drug addict. Mm. And all I could think about when she said that is when I'd wake up in the morning in those days with her here in L.A. Yeah. And all I could think about was getting to my stash and getting high. Mm. High on what? Huh? High on what? Hash. Hash. More hash hash? and and marijuana. Yeah, never, never got into cocaine. It's, it's never, crazy that hash I, I, I was wise enough. Yeah. It's like drinking coffee these days. So yeah. it shows you how diluted I am. And now I've got, in uh, on July twenty fourth, I'll have eighteen years of sobriety. Mm. 
I go to a lot of. I, I go to. Should celebrate by fucking an eighteen-year-old girl. Yeah, right. <laughs> we could arrange I, I, that I go for to, you, John. I go to. Probably could. I yeah. go to meetings Bobby almost Long. every day. I've made some great friends. Yeah. And I have uh, this woman Barbara, who I've been going out with Hell now yeah. for twenty-two years. But I keep Barbara my own Steel. apartment. Keep her. Keep people say twenty-two. How come you stay together? I said, I'll tell you a secret. I should have learned that when I was married. All these. I have my own pad. Mm. I have my own apartment. Nice little apartment on Hayworth. You've been there. No, you haven't no, been there. No, not yet. No. You we can gotta, do his apartment we gotta, we gotta do No, that. I haven't. He wants to. It's a one, bed, it's a one bedroom. Or... We're going to smoke some cigars. Well, share, not really. Share his one bedroom. Well, I'll come, I'm coming by to visit. I'm bringing some ladies. We're going uh, to go out on the town, me and John. Anyway, uh, so that's my story, basically. Wow. So I thank God for my sobriety, as I always say, and I thank AA for bringing God in my life. I stopped believing in God when I was, you know, coming out of Europe, and I said, what a cruel God this must be, this God business, you know? Of course. But now it's changed completely. <clears throat> you saw a lot of things. I saw you? a lot of things, and I'm still alive, and I thank God for keeping me alive. And the best thing I've gotten out of sobriety and AA, not just stopping drinking or using, is now I know who I really am. Mm -hmm. There we go. I know who I really am. A 90-year-old pimp. And yeah, man. Well, see, no. that's, a, that's an important lesson, though. I mean, that's what I was. T I always try to tell these guys. Every now and then, like, try to think of the, uh, the other perspective. Like, if I was high all the time and only high, wouldn't I want to be sober? Because that would be well, what yes, I'd be striving course. to. Yeah, of course. Because it's cool. Well, John. But addiction is, a, is an awful thing, it you is. know. It is. And you lie to yourself. And you lie to everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I was good at lying anyway. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, when, when I went into AA... 18 years ago, and in the big book, they, they, one of the first uh, requirements is you got to have a higher power, whether you're religious or unreligious, you, whether you believe in this is my higher power or it's God or Jesus or Mo, whatever. Start but you have to you. have somebody beside, because the worst thing is the, the, the addiction of self. Mm -hmm. And that's what, you know, all addicts are. Relieve me of the bondage of self. Yeah. yeah. You know, Austin over there told me his higher power is Vladimir Lenin. <laughs> That's not true. That's what he told me. Don't tell me that. <laughs> That's what he told well, me. Well, I'd like to say thank you, John Dessler, for gracing our oh, it's uh, podcast a pleasure. studio. Thank you for inviting it me. It was incredible. a lot of fun, man. And thank you very much. And your wisdom will live long and it will be passed I on hope so. to all the viewers. Ba before, it will be, it will be passed before on. we wrap up, just... In the name of bringing people together, right. we yes. have you, a man who fled Nazi persecution in Europe. Yeah. We have King Croc here, who is a member of a marginalized community here in America. Right. King Croc, would you please tell John a story about you having sex with a girl using your BBC? <laughs> All right, so there was this girl, right? I'm in San Pedro, and um, chilling. I, I head up to this bar, right? With the homie, Swoby. Swoby, nice. Um, Best wingman ever. See this girl. Uh, she's uh, she's talking shit. Honestly, she's talking shit to this other girl. They're almost they're getting in a fight. And then um, I start talking her up. I hit her up. Can I meet you real quick? I know you're doing something right now, but yeah. you know, I just get I gotta get in the in the action. Mm -hmm. You know how I gotta right. get it. And um, uh, what happened after that? Jesus Christ. Fast forward to the bedroom, King. Yeah. Uh, I end up at 
her apartment. Mm-hmm. I'm in her oh, kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, clothes are off. Clothes are off in the, in the kitchen. kitchen. Right. I'm on the sucking. stove. On the stove, mm. baby. <laughs> Literally, yes. On the stove. Nipples out. Nipples sucked. Then <laughs> I get to the vagine. Mm-hmm. Nice. And the BBC's been out for a minute, actually. Yeah. Problem is, little... it's, it's trailing behind him. It's still in the foyer. Yeah, yeah, it's dripping for sure, too. You know, and... Um, he, he tell, he you tell John what, can you tell John what a BBC stands for? Um, a British Broadcasting Company. That's a lie. Right. That's a lie, but okay. Yeah. I'm slanging John that. John knows, John knows. That BBC. Right. Mm-hmm. Big black cock. See, really see you put it, it you see you had yeah, sex yeah. with a woman right. in her kitchen with her. on top of in a stove. Kitchen. Yeah. John, he wants to make you proud. Room. Hopefully he wants to be you one day. He wants to Honestly, I respect you a lot, man. Hey brother, it's good to meet you and yeah. good to hear you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, for being I've on. had black friends most of my life. Mm. You know, so this is nothing new for me. No. <laughs> I mean nice. you know what I mean. Can you spit some right now? I mean, huh? If you if you really had black friends, right, can you spit some? Can you spit a little something on the mic? He's saying like, yeah. talk like a black guy from the seventies and the sixties. Yeah, I, I, I mean, or he can rap. What he well, was? Well, the music, the music, the music is. Rap, yeah, it. when Connects he was it. younger, the black guy spit stuff like, "Down in Mississippi, I saw my baby." Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, never mind. Well, he can spit some of that. Can I mean, he can spit some of that. Can you sing? Yeah, you are a singer. Yeah, I'm a singer. He's a singer. Sing us an, sing us an African American slave hymn. I don't know about that. <laughs> sorry. Maybe some jazz. <laughs> yeah. A big black jazz guy. What yeah. a day this has been. What a rare mood I'm in. It's good. Why it's almost like being in, in love. love. And there's a smile on my face for the whole human race. Why it's almost like being in love. Woo! Uh, was that a black artist? Yeah, he. They were definitely sung. Uh, Nat King Cole sang that. Oh, uh, great! Sure. Nat King Multiple, Cole. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. Hell yeah, Nat uh, King Cole. That guy's got. Soul. Yeah, I can sing. That was Hell awesome. I've that done a lot of other, sh- you know. So I told you about, you know, my 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 br- my brief eight nine year old acting career and this, but I've always loved to sing. Yep. And since I stopped working, like in the last twenty years. I do a lot of other stuff. I'm a good potter. I work on a pottery wheel. I've done a lot of pottery, nice. sold some, gave a lot away. I'm a painter too, mm. and I wrote my memoir, which I gave you, yes, I sent have to it. you. My, so I, I just you keep, you know, I think you got to stay active. Staying active. I don't want to be the old guy, you know. Yeah, honey, I'm coming. I'm right. getting the cottage cheese. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No well, John, you've done a great job staying active and young. Yeah, good. Yeah. Well, we had a great time hanging with you. Yeah. Thank likewise, you, John. Likewise. We'll have you back Thank on. You. Thank you, guys.